and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investors Insights podcast series. I'm Matthew Peter, Chief Economist at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 for an update on economics, markets, and all topics of interest for institutional investors. Now, my regular co-host, Alison Hill, this week is flat-strapped, working away across North America. So I'm pleased to welcome my colleague from our economics and research team, Drew Cleasy, who, as our principal economist, is also our lead researcher on the US economy. So welcome to QPod, Drew. Thanks very much, Matthew. Good to join you. Yeah, great to see you. And it's a quite an opportune time that you uh, you do join us because look what's happening in markets at the moment. It's unbelievable, isn't it, Drew? The really big news, of course, is that ongoing meltdown we're seeing in global bond markets in very short period of time. And having a look this morning, just under a month, basically, yields on US and Aussie 10 year bonds are up over 50 basis points, half a percentage points. So I suppose the first question to you, Drew, what's happening in bond markets? What's driving those yields higher? Yeah, I mean, we, we have seen some really significant moves, Matthew. I think uh, we, you know, as you say, back in August, we would have been trading at about 4.1% for a US 10-year Treasury bond yield. We're, we're sitting above 470 at the moment. And when I think about it, the first thing I like to look at really to understand the drivers behind that sell-off is to really break down the move between shifts in inflation expectations and and shifts in real bond yields. And really, unlike last year, this sell-off hasn't been driven by a deteriorating inflation outlook. 10-year break-even inflation rates have moved up by only about 10 basis points since the end of August. That They remain very well contained at, at, at just over 2.3% in the US. So the vast majority of the move is really higher real rates. We've seen real 10-year yields up more than 50 basis points since the, the end of August. They're now sitting around 2.4%, the highest we've seen in, in 15 years. Yeah, and that really pushes against a little bit the, the sort of common narrative that it's all about higher oil prices and, and commodity prices more generally. And and it's really, you know, the, the inflation expectations just doesn't uh, bear that out. And as you said, it's all to do with more to do with real yields. And 2.4%. Now, how many commentators would have thought we'd we'd see 2.4% again in this post-GFC world. It's it's quite remarkable, isn't it? I mean, if you look back, at, even two years ago, real yields were minus 1%. Incredible. So what do you think's behind this move in real yields, Drew? Yeah, look, Matthew, I think there are many factors at, at play here. I think the most straightforward rationale is, is the higher for longer narrative. I think everyone has been surprised by how strong the US economy has been this year, despite the 525 basis points of hikes we've seen from the US Fed over the past 18 months. And so that ongoing resilience in economic activity has been raising expectations that the Fed will need to keep policy rates higher for for longer. To be clear, it's a little bit interesting at this point. The market's not actually expecting the Fed to hike rates further from here. I uh, just want to be clear, like current market pricing puts that at just a, a 41% probability of a hike by December. So what we're actually seeing is the market dramatically pare back their expectations of rate cuts over 2024 and, and the subsequent few years. So, you know, really to give you some idea around how far these expectations have, have, have moved, perhaps the simplest metric to, to look at is just the three-year ahead forward OIS rates. So back in June, they would have been about 3%. At the start of September, three and a half. Now they're just over four percent. So 
you know, to me, it looks like the market has started to shift up their view of the real neutral interest rate or the, or the so-called R-star from the very low levels that you, you saw over the past decade, as you, as you mentioned. Yeah, that's quite interesting observations. It's exactly what's played out here. It's not the short end. It's not the front end of the, the yield curve that's moving. It's in, in Australia, it's not expectations about rate hikes by the, the RBA that's lifting the uh, yield. It's rather that the RBA is going to have to stay on hold at 4.1% longer right out to the end of 2024 rather than rate hikes. And again, that's sort of indicative of, of a view that there's going to have to have a higher rate for longer, potentially because um, the outlook for uh, real growth is, is is stronger than what it's been over the past decade. Who knows? Now, we probably don't have time, unfortunately, to get into a nuanced discussion on neutral rates, let alone, you know, in the famous R-star today. We'll have to hold that off for another uh, QPod, Drew. We'll have you back and we'll certainly get into a uh, discussion of that because I think that's going to be a key to, uh, you know, anchoring market pricing going forward. But are there any other factors driving the move higher in, in real rates other than, say, uh, a move higher in uh, the, the neutral rate? Yeah, I, th- I think, Matthew, one of the other key drivers that we've seen is is the shift higher in the term premium. So a, a well-known estimate of the term premium uh, produced by the New York Fed has jumped about 80 basis points uh, since the end of August. It's now back in in positive territory after spending most of the period since uh, 2016 well below zero. Now, what has caused this jump is is up for debate, and there's likely to be quite a few drivers, both fundamental and and, and technical in nature. However, in my mind, you know, one one of the key drivers is likely to have been building concerns around the fiscal situation in the U.S. I mean, over the weekend, uh, thankfully, we just escaped a U.S. government shutdown at at the 11th hour. However, Congress has really just uh, kicked the can down the road with funding to to expire now in in mid-November. So we'll likely be up for an even bigger challenge then, you know, particularly after Speaker McCarthy was rolled by hardline <laughs> conservatives in his party. Yeah, and wouldn't it just be fun if those same hardline conservatives convinced Trump to go and become House Speaker? Of course, in the States, you don't have to be a member of Congress to be a House Speaker, just to make our lives a little bit more interesting, Drew. Interesting Maybe. is one word for it, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're listening to Matthew Peter and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where I'm discussing meltdown in global bond markets at the moment with Drew Cleasy. So, Drew, back to our question about where yields are at the moment. I suppose the question is, really, have they gone too far? Have yields gone beyond any sort of point of return? To give you a short answer, Matthew, I think, yes, you know, we, we think yields have gone too far. Uh, okay, so what's the long answer, Drew? <laughs> well, I, th- I, th- I think the long answer, how, how about this? Why do we think that yields have gone too far and why do we think they should, you know, retrace back to the high threes sort of by mid next year? And, and really our expectation, our thinking behind that is the lagged impact of the, the Fed rate hikes seen to date combined with all the tightening in, in financial conditions that we're currently seeing, they should lead to a significant slowdown in the US economy during 2024. Mm. You know, we, we have started to see early signs that, you know, maybe momentum is just, just sort of slowing a little bit. Last night, we had the ADP report on, on private 
payrolls and they they showed a surprisingly sharp slowdown in September and that caused a bit of a relief rally in in, in bond markets. Really, that tightening in financial conditions that we've seen will will do more damage across the the economy. We have been seeing a, a tentative recovery underway in the U.S. housing market, but that's likely to stall. You know, due to the moves in the bond market, we've seen thirty year fixed rate mortgages surge to to seven and a half percent. That's that's the highest level we've seen since two thousand. And not surprisingly, that's just leading mortgage applications to to continue to decline. And you know they're now at their lowest levels since since nineteen ninety six. So these these tighter financial conditions are going to continue to work with a lag to slow the economy. And if we're right, and the U.S. economy does slow sharply next year, and inflation continues to fall, then we should see a moderation in bond yield start to come through as as, as the prospects for for rate cuts come onto the horizon. Yeah, and I think you're right there. Markets are skittish, aren't they? they you know, like you look at an ADP report, you know, it's it's not exactly tier one data and they're ready to sort of, you know, respond to that. Clear that yields have gone about as far as they, they can in the current environment. Any signs of weakening the economy, I think you're right. I agree with you. We'll start to see rates start to come back down. The question will be where they they land, of course, and that's what we've got to look out for. Yeah, and I think I think there's you know still obviously the markets are a little bit skittish, and we've still got the official sort of non-farm payrolls report to come out, and and you know where that lands, I, I'd be expecting markets you know could potentially react quite significantly to that, but. Matthew, I'd really be interested in hearing your perspective on on how you'd expect that uh, you know this outlook that we have and the backup uh, in real, the real interest rate to to, to to risk assets. Well, I think I'll, I'll defer to the expert. Um, and, and, and you know, so we I suppose I'll look at it, and I've seen the S and P five hundred drop around six and a half percent since the the recent peak in July. But you know, personally, I would have thought we would have seen a bit more damage. To equity markets from the higher real rates. I mean, particularly since they've been, you know, driven partly by higher term premiums, higher neutral rates, rather than just simply stronger underlying growth. So yeah, it'd be interesting to hear your views. I agree with you entirely. We're coming into this episode still with a, an eight to ten percent overvaluation estimate on the S and P five hundred, which have seen some back off in the S and P, but nothing like what you'd expect to see with an additional fifty basis point increase in real yields, as you pointed out. Right now, that gives you potentially, if that sticks, if we don't see those real yields come back down from where they are currently at two point four percent, we don't see that retracement of that fifty basis points. S and P five hundred, in my opinion, is hostage to at least another ten percent fall from there. So you know. You could easily start to get quite a strong sell-off in the S&P. You could even, you could even envisage uh, it heading closer towards bear territory if it started to get a roll-on, particularly if you saw into the bargain some weakening uh, of the uh, the economy or some reduction in the expectations about the strength of the economy. A lot of downside risk building for risk assets with rates so high. Uh, no, thanks, Matthew. I'm, I'm going to push my luck and I'm going I'm <laughs> to sort of hit you up with another question. So I, I think it'd be pretty remiss of us to, to conclude without mentioning the first decision by the new RBA governor, Michelle Bullock. What did you make of the, of the RBA's decision and, and her first meeting? Yeah, well, nothing new from uh, Governor Bullock on her first meeting. She she just took the same playbook from the meeting beforehand. It's you know Governor Lowe's last meeting it was almost like a cut and paste, really. Uh, no changes in in views or sentiment really at all, Drew. One thing that will change, though, I think, for policy there, as we talked about, is that the RBA will have to keep rates on hold now throughout 
2024. They may get away without having to raise rates this year or at the start of next year as long as we don't see uh, further sharp falls in uh, the exchange rate. If we see the Aussie dollar heading to 60 cents or below, I think they're going to have to raise rates just on the back of the pass-through of the weaker exchange rate and the effect that'll have on uh, petrol bales, if nothing else. Uh, Notwithstanding that, uh, rates on hold, uh, nothing new at the moment. We'll have to wait and see if uh, Governor Bullock takes the RBA in a different direction. And I imagine she'll be clearly watching what's going on in the US bond markets and and China as well. Absolutely. Imagine what would happen, Drew, if we saw the collapse in our terms of trade. It's you know, what would happen to the dollar in that world? Because the terms of trade have been pretty strong and, and notwithstanding that, we still see the dollar down 63 cents. So yeah, you're dead right on that. Well, what are the turn of events we have from lower for longer to higher for longer, from risk asset tailwind to risk asset headwind? The bond market has certainly forced its way back into the forefront of financial market thinking in a way most commentators would not have imagined possible in this post-GFC world. Alison will be back on board next week, broadcasting from New York City. So don't forget to tune in to hear her insights from the Big Apple. And until then, thanks for listening.